in the 1980s, excuse me, 1990s, back too far, for a period of about five years, I preached three services every Sunday morning at First Baptist Sweetwater in Orlando, Florida. Now, granted, I went home and slept there all afternoon after that. Sometimes I ate lunch, sometimes didn't. This morning I taught Sunday school, and now I'm in here for the second hour, and it only reminds me what a wimp I've become. It wore me out. But we had a good time in Philippians this morning and in introducing that, and if, if you're not in Sunday school, this would be a great time to get in a class as we're studying the book of Philippians for the next, oh, 12, 13 weeks. And you'd have opportunity to get in a book that will change your life as we study through that. So if you're not in Sunday school, I encourage you to do that. If you don't know where to go, we'd love to tell you where to go to a Sunday school class. So uh, just see some of us, uh, some of the pastors or some of the, uh, of course, today only two pastors, me and Ricky are here. But uh, some of the other leaders, they can point you in a direction or the welcome desk. I think you'd be glad that you did that. Take your Bibles and turn with me to back to Romans chapter 4. And we're going to again just look at the first eight verses and read those and then talk about them in light of last Sunday and, and then kind of expand from that just a little bit today to talk about a, another question. Paul writes to the Roman Christians these words. He says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due, his salary, what he earned. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And in quoting from the first two verses of Psalm 32, Paul said, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Paul is obviously concerned here about the issue of sin. And he's, he's obviously concerned about the issue of how we can be justified before God, how we can be made right before God uh, because of that sin. That, that sin is the issue. Sin is the problem. It's the problem that entered the world back in the fall, back in the book of Genesis, thousands of years ago. It's the problem that continues to persist today and continues to cause us to, to stumble and fall and, and disobey God and not please God. And, and we get all confused sometimes about what all that means. So I titled this sermon today simply this. Why would anyone believe justification by faith alone? Why would anyone believe that? The truth of the matter is it goes against our normal way of thinking about things. When we think about being made right with God, when we think about having a right standing with God, and I hope that's something we all would desire to have who are here this morning, we, we tend to think about, well, if I'm just good enough, if I just work hard enough, 
then I'll be, I'll be all right with God. Everything will be okay. I, I've told you about my grandmother, bless her soul, who used to tell me all the time, I guess she thought I was going to be some kind of really a troublemaker in life, but she would always tell me, and, and I, I probably was, but she, she would always tell me, now, now, Bill, except she put a Y on it, Billy, you know, good boys go to heaven, and only good boys go to heaven. And for some reason, I guess she thought that would make me straighten up and be a good boy. And I tried most of the time to do that. You see, our natural way of thinking is that I have to, to kind of earn this thing. I have to pay my, I have to do my work in order to receive my wage. I, I, have, to, I have to do something that will make God pleased enough with me that, that he will accept me into his presence. And if I'm not a good boy or a good man or a good woman or a good girl, if I somehow fall into sin and, and I just can't live up to it on my own, then I, I find myself in real peril. And, and John talked about that in 1 John chapter 1. We'll look at that in a minute that, that we read as our responsive reading this morning. But we, send, we tend to believe naturally that if we don't do what's right, we cannot be right with God. We, we lose sight of what this idea is of justification by faith alone. So why would anybody believe in justification by faith alone? It's just not natural for us to do that. Here's why we would believe it. We would believe it because God says that is truth. It goes against all our natural thinking. It goes against all that we think we have to do or can do even. And it says, listen, it's a matter of trusting Christ. And when you trust Christ, just like Abraham, then that that trust is counted to you, imputed to you, credited to you, however you want to translate that word, it, it's accounted to you as righteousness. Your belief in Christ brings about the righteousness of Christ to cover your life. There are sins there that, that need to be dealt with. There are sins there that we need to struggle through and break away from. There's no doubt about it. But we will never do that apart from that faith that brings about the righteousness of Christ that gives us the strength to be able to do it. I have to understand that. But I find it interesting that the Apostle Paul, who is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we believe, who is writing inspired text, doesn't just say, this is what I tell you. He does tell us that, but Paul, the great apostle, Paul, the great one who met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and had his life radically changed from somebody who thought he could earn his salvation, who hated the church that preached justification by faith alone and tried to persecute it and tried to destroy it. Here's the apostle Paul whose life was radically changed because he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He comes along and he doesn't say it's just because I say so, but I want you to say, see that what I'm teaching you is based on God's word before me. It's based on scripture. It's based on biblical authority. He said, I'm telling you that a man is made righteous before God by faith. I'm telling you that God has put forward Christ as a propitiation by his blood. I love that choir special this morning, nothing but the blood. That, that's such an old-timey concept that doesn't sound really sophisticated to our ears today, but my friend, there's nothing more sophisticated than all of creation. 
than realizing the blood of Christ that sets us free. But Paul says he, he put Jesus forth forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over the former sins until Christ died. It's an amazing thing that the Apostle Paul then, after telling us that, he says, and by the way, Abraham proves that based on the authority of Scripture. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And oh, by the way, David talked about the fact that blessed is the man whose sins are covered, whose sins are forgiven, whose sins will not be uh, you know, looked at, whose sins will not be remembered against him ever again. And then that psalm goes on to say, but I know I'm a sinner and I can't earn that salvation. It's all by the grace of God. Paul says, I want you to understand, it is based on Scripture what I'm telling you, it's based on biblical authority. So why would anyone today believe in justification by faith alone? For one reason and one reason only. Because God says it's truth. Because God has revealed it. Now I realize that we live in a day that, that desires to take what Paul says or what Jesus says or what the prophets say or what anybody says in the Bible and say, well, that's... that's that can't be authoritative today. That was written 2,000 years ago or more. Uh, we looked at Philippians this morning, written in A.D. 61 to 63, somewhere in there during his Roman imprisonment. And we say, why, A.D. 61, why, that, that's almost 2,000 years ago. How in the world can anything that far back be relative and, and, and be, be authoritative to us today? It's because it wasn't just written 2,000 years ago. It was literally written in the mind of God, in the heart of God before the creation of the world. And it's His eternal truth and His eternal values that stand the test. We live in a day that is very much like Eden was. Oh, it's not perfect like Eden was. It's not without sin. It's not, you know, where we don't have to sweat and toil for our labor to, to earn our living like it was before the fall in Eden. But... But we are very much like, we, we have the same question coming our way in our day that Adam and Eve faced in the garden when, the, when Satan came to them. And the question was this, has God really said, has God really said, fill in the blank. In that case, it was, has God really said that you can't eat of the fruit of any of these beautiful, lovely trees? Has God said that you, you just got to live here and exist here, but you can't eat of this fruit? And he said, no, 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 that, that's not what God said. God said, we can eat of all the fruit of the trees, but we can't eat of this one tree. And Satan said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, that tree. Yeah, those others are okay, those others are tasty, those others are not, but do you know this tree that God has forbidden, has the sweetest fruit, the most beautiful fruit, the most desirable fruit in all the garden. Why, why God has said you can have all this second-rate stuff, but he won't give you the best. You can't have the best. You know why? Because if you eat of that fruit, you'll be like God. You'll be like him. You'll have all wisdom. You'll know the difference between good and evil. You'll, you'll know 
you, you'll have everything you need to know. You'll, you'll be just like God. And what did Adam and Eve do? They ate of it. Why did they eat of it? Because they really did like that idea. They really did like the idea that they can be like God. They can be their own God. They can rule their own life. They don't have to listen to God. They can listen to themselves. In our day, that same question is asked, whether it's about justification by faith alone or whether it's about the whole area of ethics and morality in our world. doesn't really matter. It's the question is always asked, did God really say? And typically it's followed up with, you know, a lot of people have said God said that, but God didn't really say that because God would never do that. He would never want to limit your freedom or limit your joy or limit your happiness. So, so whether it's in the area of the sexual revolution or whether it's in the area of marriage or whether it's in the area of, of church life, it doesn't matter. The question always comes to us, has God really said? In research this week, I came across all sorts of things of of people saying, we are Christians, but we want to show you that what the church has always believed about any number of issues is not really what the Bible says. We want to explain it away. I, I read an article this week on palimony. You know what palimony is? It's polygamy, basically. It's more than one uh, partner. I don't think they really propose. Well, they are proposing being able to marry more than one person and have all this. And, and they profess to be a Christian, and they, they said they know Christ, and said, you know, the reason palimony was forbidden in the Scripture, the reason multiple wives and all was always spoken against, is because it was identified with idol worship. It was around the temples that, that they did these acts of, of, of palimony, and, and so they, they, they gathered around the temple, and they, they worshiped their gods by taking on more than one partner. And so the Scripture says... You can't do that because it's identified with idol worship. But if you're not identifying it with idol worship, then it's okay. I'm still trying to read that article and understand what it's talking about. I mean, I mean it's just, it's, it's crazy the way in our world the question is, has God really said? Well, I'm here to tell you that God has said. God has spoken. He's spoken in ways that Peter talked about in the passage that, that uh, Dalton read just a, a little bit ago. He, he, Peter wanted so clearly for them to understand the importance of, of the holiness of a believer and that the holiness only flows out of the truth of God's Word. And he said, I want you to know you're, you're to purify your souls by your obedience to the truth. That's why we can't tell you, you know, you, if you'll just try harder, you can be right with God. If you, just, if you can just tilt the scale somehow in your favor, you can be right with God. It's not about that at all. It's about justification by faith in Jesus Christ alone that changes your life. I love how he, again, Peter also talking about the authority of the Word of God, quotes Isaiah and, and from Isaiah 40 and says, All the flesh, all flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers. And the flower fades. It dies. But the word of the Lord remains forever. We live in a day that wants to say, you know, the grass is good. And the grass is beautiful. And 
and the grass is man's ideas, and the grass is the grass is what I think and what I want to be right. Not so much what God says is right or wrong. But Peter says, don't you understand this? Your ideas separated from the truth of God's word will wither and will fade and will lead to destruction. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God remains forever. Not for a while. Not partially, but completely and absolutely forever. Peter made that clear. John, in talking in that passage, we read responsibly. In in talking about the Christian life, he starts out in verses 1 through 4 by simply saying, listen, what we are proclaiming to you is the truth. There's another thing we live in today, and, and people say, well, that really, you know, is that, how do we know that's really the inspired text? How do we really know that that that's what we ought to believe and we ought to follow. How, how can we be sure? Has God really said this or that? John said, I want you to know something. We know it's true because we saw it, we heard it, we touched it, we lived with Him. We saw the eternal life, the eternal life that was sent forth from the Father, and we're proclaiming this to you that we might have fellowship with you and, and that you might, and we both might have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And I'm writing this, that, that our joy may be made complete. Real joy, not happiness, not, not see, uh, the happiness comes from sin for a season, but real joy that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, this eternal life lived among us. We lived with eternal life. We saw eternal life. And, and that's Jesus. And he says, here's what he said. The message we heard from him and that we proclaim to you is that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him, that is if we say we're a believer and yet we, and yet we walk in darkness, if we say we have fellowship with him while we continue to walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. We, we lie. We say, well, I'm all right with God because I made a profession of faith and I walked an aisle and I was baptized and I went through all the motions and everything's all right. But John says, listen, the test of whether you're in Christ or not is not whether you did those religious things. It's whether there's a changed life or not. Whether you're walking in fellowship by walking in the light rather than walking in darkness practicing darkness rather than practicing the truth. He said, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That's another thing of our culture today. There's no such thing as sin. There are mistakes. There are things that I don't like that you do, but I certainly don't have any sin myself. Sin is such an archaic term. Let's get with it. But John says if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. Talked to someone a few weeks ago, not a member of our church, but someone in the community, who said, you know, I, uh, I came to Christ about 10 years ago, and I've not sinned since. I said, really? Yeah. 
you not had one sinful thought or one sinful act? Nope. Not in 10 years. And I think I'll be that way right up until the day I die or go see Jesus or he comes again. I'm just, I have perfection. I was tempted to follow him around for another hour or so. But I didn't. But I wanted to say to him, and I wish I had and I didn't, well, you just did sin because you just lied about not sinning. At least that's what God's Word says. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth, who is the truth? You can say it. Jesus. If we say we have no sin, then we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth, Jesus, is not in us. Because the mark of a believer, the mark of a true Christian is, there in verses 9 and 10, uh, confessing our sins. A believer confesses his sins or her sins. And because we confess it, we know that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and, and his word excuse me, is not in us. We say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You see, to to commit what God says is sin in a continuing way, in, in a practicing way, to commit and continue in what God says is sin in His way, in His Word, is to deceive ourselves. But even worse than that, it's bad enough to be self-deceived. But even worse than that, it's to take our finger and point it in the face of God and say, You, sir, are a liar. I want to be my own God. I want to run my own life. I want to be saved like I want to be saved. I, I, want, to, I want to tell you, God, that I'm going to have enough good works that in that day I will balance it out and you'll have to receive me, not because of the righteousness of Christ, not because of my absolute total trust and faith in Christ, but you'll have to receive me because I've earned it. Well, Paul was pretty clear that the only thing we're going to earn as wages is death, spiritual death, death that cast us into the outer darkness. I, I remember talking not long ago about, to another person, wasn't the same one who's perfect, which is good, and, and his comment was just the opposite. He said, well, Nah, I don't trust, I'm not going to trust Jesus. No, I don't believe God's Word is true. Yeah, I believe I can do whatever I want to do. doesn't matter what God's Word says. And I guess that means I'm going to hell. And I said, yeah, yes it does. And he said, well, I guess that's where I want to be because that's where all my friends will be anyway, and we'll just party together. What I understand is that hell, according to Scripture, is absolute isolation from everybody. 
You're not going to be there partying with your friends. You're going to be there in absolute darkness and isolation, knowing that God exists, knowing that God is love, knowing that God cared about you, knowing that God offered His grace to you, the salvation to you through the preaching of the gospel, but not experiencing that grace any longer. You see, Paul says, I want you to understand, this is important. This is critical. And and if it was critical for Paul's day and John's day and Peter's day, it was critical in that early church. Let me tell you something. It is a, a thousand times more critical in our day. Because there are a lot of voices out there, just like the voice of the serpent in the garden that says to us, has God really said? God didn't say that. Let me tell you what God really said. And explains away the truth of God. That is dangerous for life in this world. That is dangerous for eternity. So that's why Paul is spending so much time here saying, listen, it is not the natural thing for you to believe in justification by faith alone, in Christ alone. It is the natural thing for you to think like the world does, that I'll just be good enough, or I'll try to be religious enough, or I'll just add up all my brownie points and see if they don't come together. And and God says, I want you to understand, that will not work. There's no power in it. So we have to see the importance of Scripture. As a pastor... You know what one of my greatest heartaches is outside of my own sin? It's seeing the church today living lives and doing things that the Scripture is so very clearly teaching just the opposite of what we're doing in our lives. We, we dealt with that a few weeks ago. And we talked about the whole radical nature of Christianity, that it's a changed life. It's a change, you know, and in Philippians this morning, we looked at when Paul came to Christ, he had a change of value. He had a change of worth in his life. He saw everything differently. He counted all things that he had materially and financially as, as, as garbage, as, as, as rubbish in light of knowing Christ. He had a whole new goal in life. It wasn't just to be a Pharisee and be looked at as a religious person. It was to know Christ above everything else. It was a new righteousness that he said wasn't the righteousness I've been trying to earn by the law, but it was a new righteousness that comes, how? By faith in Christ Jesus alone. He had a new value, a new worth. He had a new righteousness. He had a new everything, a, a new goal in life. He had a new power. He said, I want to know him, and I want to know and experience the power of his resurrection. What does the power of his resurrection do? It gives you power to fight sin, pure and simple. And, and it's not just a little puny power. I guess that's an oxymoron. But it's not a little puny power. It's not a little bit of power. It's the power that brought Christ forth from the grave. 
It's a power that brought Lazarus out of the grave when Lazarus had died. And Jesus looked in the tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he who was bound hand and foot in grave clothes came out of that grave alive. It's a power that if you're a believer, spoke to you one day and said, come out of your tomb, come out of your death, come into my life. He gave you life. I think today we, we sometimes just fail to see the importance of Scripture and the authority of Scripture. I, I think today we, we fail to see the hopelessness of trying to be saved by our good works, even in the church. I think today we just don't put the confidence that we need to in the gospel confidence in the gospel to change lives beginning with my life you know in reality what Paul is doing here is he's given us proof of Christianity's timelessness and its validity that it is timeless it, it, it's in his day writing to the church in Rome it was in Abraham's day. It was in David's day. And, and because of that timelessness, it's for our day and it's for all days to come. And the only one who wants us to look at the Word and say, has God really said? Is the one who asked that original question in the garden. He was a liar then. He is a liar now. And he will always be a liar. The truth is not in the one asking that question, one iota. You see, the only reason a person would believe in justification by faith alone is because God's Word says it, and God's Word is authoritative, and God's Word tells us that's how it is and how it must be. And you can take that and put it in any phrase you want to put it in. Has God said this, and our world will say, no, God didn't say that. Has God really said this is sin? No, 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 that was antiquated. That was back with the idols days. There are no idols today. Folks, there are idols today. And the sad thing is we live with those idols every day because that is us. Calvin said that the heart is the commensurate idol maker. The human heart. We, we just make idols out of everything. We make idols out of ourselves. When we want to say, I don't care what God said. I want to do what I say. I want to do what I want. I want to live for myself. Not for Christ. Not for the gospel not out of gratitude for what he's done for me through the cross. I want to be my own God. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to hear what God said. Some of you need to consider that today. Some of you have been in church all your life need to consider that today. Am I listening to the, to the, to the deceiver? 
in my work, in my family, in my school, wherever I go. Am I listening to thus saith the Lord? Or am I listening to the deceiver who would say, don't buy that. Let me tell you what life is really all about. You can be like him. You can be autonomous. You can have freedom. Let's pray. Father, we know that it is by faith. And faith is putting our trust in you, the eternal word, the living word, and believing the written word that you have given to us. not getting our own personal revelation, our own personal okay to go against the word, that doesn't happen. You don't look at us and say, well, you know, you've really done pretty, you've done enough. Forget what I said about justification by faith alone, I'm going to justify you by your works. I know it's our human nature to say, well, he gave us ten commandments, we ought to just we just follow those, we'll be okay. Well, we don't follow those. We fail. And you, you told us we break one, we break them all. Father, we live in a day that hates your word. Hates your truth. We live in a day, Lord, that, that just says over and over again, has God really said? He hadn't said that. Those are the words of the deceiver, the liar. Lord, help us walk in the light as you are in the light. Cleansing us by your light, by your blood. Clothing us in the righteousness of Christ alone. Father, break our hearts. Break my heart over disobedience to you. Lord, don't let me just say, oh, well, it's no big deal. I'm a pastor. I, I, I didn't really mean it. Lord, cleanse my life. Father, help us walk by faith. 
not by deception. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And we sing now by